This is episode number 115, Resiliency, with Alvin Law. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a brief announcement regarding our virtual meetup, which happens every Saturday, called Courageous Conversations. This is an opportunity for you to further connect with this tribe that we begin to develop at Overcoming Odds. And we started this particular meetup four to five weeks ago in order for each and every single one of us to be seen, to be valued, and to be supported through this journey we call life. What can you expect, you might be wondering? Well, every single week, we choose a topic that is most relevant to our day, that is most relevant to our lives. And we choose to explore and discuss that amongst a group of individuals who share one common interest, and that is to further elevate humanity. If you would like to learn how you can be a part of this particular tribe, please go ahead and leave us a message by going to our website, and that is overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Odds podcast. Today's guest is someone that I came across recently through a Goalcast video, and for me, what ended up happening, honestly, right after that was I ended up sharing that video of probably with almost everyone within my network. And the reason why I did that was because I was inspired by not only the story of where he came from, but ultimately the story that he continues to tell himself and wants to do with it. So Alvin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Oleg. It is really a sincere pleasure to be with you, brother. No, I appreciate you being on here. And the way that I typically start off our particular episodes, as I mentioned to you earlier, is I like to ask this question of who are you, which I think we probably get asked uh, far too often, but yet we struggle answering it probably 99% of the time. And I think the reason why is because, you know, it's who am I now, who, who I was, who am I trying to be? And so we're always juggling all of these different perspectives. So when you get asked that question of who are you, how would you respond to that? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a little tiny twist on the sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't hear who are you as much as I hear what happened to you. Mm. Because if your audience can't see, I have no arms. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really great question. I used to resent the question when I was a lot, 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 lot younger. Now at almost 60 years old, um, I have a completely different take on the question. The question to answer it directly, as I always do, is really strategic. I often say when they went, what happened to you is I say, I was a, ready for this big word, thalidomide baby. And mm -hmm. then you always get what? Or you get wow, because either people know that or they don't. Thalidomide was a morning sickness medication that deformed over 25,000 babies between 1959 and 1963, uh, mostly in Germany, in England, across Europe into uh, Canada, not the United States, even Australia. It was banned for use on pregnant women in 1963. Uh, I was born in the summer of 1960. 
and I was literally one of the first Canadian thalidomide victims. Now we've changed that name and, and this is going to be part of our conversation is language mm -hmm. to thalidomide survivor. Frankly, to be quite blunt, right off the start, you could call me a Toyota, but in fact, what I am is just Alvin Law. Mm -hmm. I, this is who I am. It's my identity. I never honestly struggled with asking why me, except when I was going through adolescence and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. In fact, what I was able to embrace, and that's why I love the opportunity to talk to you today, because I think you and I have a remarkable connection, and that is in our adoption. Mm -hmm. Adoption in my life changed my label from thalidomide victim to every word you can apply. I, I'll tell you that story today, of course, but it was a mindset not only that I grew up with, but that was an important element, obviously, but it was a sense of value. I don't want to get ahead of the conversation, Oleg, but, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've been to orphanages. Um, you know, it, it's so impossible to feel anything but sadness mm -hmm. and, and the tragedy of it. But yet another way to look at it, which is such a tacky expression, but I've embraced it is it is what it is. This is the circumstance of where we often end up. It's not good. It's not bad. It's in the middle. I mm -hmm. think that's where our conversation today will go, if I think about it properly, mm -hmm. is that's where the variable comes in. And that's why I make my living as a professional speaker and author to address the idea coming from this body. People look at me and go, really? You like having no arms? Absolutely. Because I did not get to pick that. Mm -hmm. I get to pick my approach to it. Mm -hmm. And it's as you simple know, as that. You, and you bring up a very good point as far as the gray area, right? Yeah. I think oftentimes we try and look at the world as far as a black and white approach, but if we're all being honest, it's always gray. Everybody lives in gray. You know, I, I had to laugh when the Me Too movement came out, not to jump over to that, that space, but mm -hmm. you know, it reminded me of a really good example of something that takes place in our society. It's real, but not every man is abusing women. Not mm -hmm. every woman is getting in a situation where they're in, in, a, in a circumstance with a man. Most men, in my opinion, treat women properly. Most women know how to carry themselves to be treated properly. It's mm -hmm. these extremes that we end up seeing in our society that unfortunately, in my opinion, tend to present to the world the idea that this is the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a positive individual because I'm a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. I became a motivational speaker because I had a positive approach to a negative story. Mm -hmm. And I find that very interesting and important to acknowledge. And as part of that story, what really initially stood out to me to begin with was <coughs> the resilience aspect, right? Mm. That, yeah. you and I, th that you and I share as far as the, the journeys that we have gone through. And I've been curious about this question for quite some time, to be honest with you. And that is, is resilience something that each and every one of us has? Like, are we born with elements of it? Or is that something that gets developed and refined through our own experiences? What do you think? So, so I'm going to back up the question with one quick anecdote, because mm -hmm. this is really an important element of my story. Mm -hmm. We'll get there in a minute. I was fascinated by that question my entire life. Where did this come from? Mm -hmm. I learned that it came from in my personal life. It came from the environment in which I was raised in a foster home. The foster home was not a, a, a big building. It was a home in small town Canada in a place called Yorkton, Saskatchewan. My mom and dad, mostly my mom, was the caregiver. 
they looked after other children for a time when I was brought to live with them in 1960, but they stopped bringing in the rest of the foster kids around 1963 because it appeared as though I was going to be a bit of a full-time job. Mm. The reason I bring that up is because I am a believer in nurture over nature. So I would suggest to you that resiliency isn't born into us. It is developed by the surroundings that we live in. Mm -hmm. I used to believe that resiliency was a function of how much a person has to overcome mm -hmm. to achieve success. It's so weird we're having this conversation, Ole, because I, I don't want to promote myself. That's really not my style. Plus, I'm Canadian, so <laughs> we're kind of humble that way, right? But, but I've, got a, I've got a blog on my website at alvinlaw.com I just wrote about, and I love your question, mm -hmm. because the blog was actually about the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, coming back three times in a row during the playoffs from major deficits to win each game. Mm -hmm. led by this Patrick Mahomes, who is a wonder child, isn't he? He grew up in a major league home. Uh, his dad was a pitcher. They were wealthy. He had everything. He's got mm -hmm. faith. He's very religious. One could say, well, he's not resilient. Sure he is. He showed resiliency. In my blog, I compare him to a Michael Jordan. We mm -hmm. all know Michael Jordan, the basketball star, came from a home that was not the same as Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. So I've changed my mind about resiliency, like recently where I believe that resiliency isn't given to somebody who has to overcome major odds. It's huge in that element, but resiliency to me, and this is going to answer the question mm -hmm. is dependent on the surroundings that we have in our life. We need to be around people that push us to be resilient because we need to see the result. Patrick Mahomes in this case, as the quarterback felt a responsibility to his team to lead them to a win. You can't have resiliency unless you believe that you will end up where you want to go. But you have to have a support network around you because nobody lives in a vacuum. Mm, I love that point for so many different reasons. I think the biggest thing, if anyone were to take away from this, is that you're never alone and that you don't get anywhere alone, right? Because there's always someone else opening a door for you. There's always someone else shaking your hand. There's always someone else taking your hand with yeah. you when you're refusing to say, hey, just let me go. I don't, I'm not ready to go into that space yet or that's not my world just yet. And we, we tell ourselves, and I've caught myself doing this too, where I would just tell myself, oh, I'll start tomorrow. Well, here's the problem with that statement. The tomorrow literally turns into a tomorrow and then it turns into a week and then a month and then five years and then 20 years down the road. And so the tomorrow, it, it, it always becomes tomorrow. But there's always someone else that's, that's willing to say, hey, let's just do it now. Give it a shot. See what you can do. When I, uh, when I feel like I want to pick a point in my life when I began believing in this, it was a really, really long time ago, back mm -hmm. when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have uh, you know, electronic books. I read Lee Iacocca's biography. Remember, mm -hmm. he was the man who was responsible for the Mustang. And he had all of this clout and he had all this prestige. And he was a superstar in the Ford organization. And then he got fired. And I remember from the book, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but essentially was he felt like he would never, ever achieve any success again in his life. Because in his words, he must have just spent his whole tank on that Ford Mustang project. Mm -hmm. What he realized looking back on his life was that if he could create the Mustang, 
he never had the same kind of success with Chrysler. But if he could do that, why couldn't he do the next? This is mm -hmm. the mistake a lot of people make, is they forget that they've overcome a certain amount of obstacles to get to where they are. So why would they be surprised when something gets thrown in their path as an obstacle? It happens mm -hmm. to all of us. We need to go backwards in our minds to see what we've been through, but I've got a great metaphor. I've never lived my life looking in the rear view mirror of my car. <laughs> I use the rear view mirror of my car as a point of reference every now and then to see who's behind me, but mm -hmm. spend 95% of my life is spent looking through the windshield to see where I'm gonna go. That to me is the key to resiliency. Mm -hmm. And you, you bring up a really good point when it comes to our stories and I use a similar method when I do tell my journey and that is I tell the journey of my past to show people where I was but to also show people where I'm going with it. And you're right as far as a lot of us do go through a lot of obstacles. And I think the biggest thing that I've also learned within this space is that just like you and I, we were born into some of these circumstances, right? We didn't have a choice to be born without arms. We didn't have a choice to be born to a mother who was an alcoholic, but yet Correct. we chose to look at it differently. And I think the thing that <clears throat> sometimes what I've learned as a challenge for people is that we begin to compare our own traumatic and tragic events to the others and we say, well, I haven't been through that or my life hasn't been as hard. But that's not the point. The point is not to compare. The point is not to say you haven't been through it. The point is that you have overcome your own unique set of challenges. And yet yeah, you're no, still standing here. Yeah, there's no awards show for who's had the lousiest life <laughs> trophy. Yeah, right? exactly. Which I think, you know, you, you hit on something very important here because I think a lot of times, you know, and I, I've approached this from many points of view. Mm -hmm. um, I actually feel very strongly about what I'm going to say to you now. When they called us thalidomide victims, mm -hmm. that seemed to be a predisposition to where we would end up. One of the things I would hope people will do, and this is not, again, meant to be self-serving, mm -hmm. but yes, my video on Goalcast called What's Your Label mm -hmm. is amazing. But I would suggest there's another video on my main page. You can find it at YouTube. Mm -hmm. I have the thrill of being a drummer and by the way, I, sh I shouldn't have jumped on that one. I am a drummer. I play the drum. <laughs> um, I, I, I was in a, in a band in England in 2016. I was asked to join an all handicapped band. Every member of the orchestra, there's about a dozen of us, had mm -hmm. some form of physical challenge. One of them was actually also Down syndrome, and he played the trumpet. The band was put together to support a music video to the music of Sammy Davis Jr., an old standard called Yes I Can, which is also the name of Sammy Davis's book, by the way, if anyone's interested. And it was in support of the Great Britain Paralympic team to promote the Paralympics in Rio de Janeiro in 2016 on Channel 4 England. And it is an incredible three minute video. It's won awards all over the place, including a gold medal at Cannes for commercial production. My point is this, we recorded the soundtrack at Abbey Road Studios. Uh, people don't know what Abbey Road Studios is, just Google it. It is famous for where the Beatles recorded, where Pink Floyd recorded. I mean, it, it is an icon of the music industry. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in there behind a set of drums in Abbey Road Studios, looking over 10 feet away was the piano that was played by the likes of the most incredible music. John Lennon wrote 
uh, let it be on that piano in Abbey Road Studios. And I'm sitting there going, where's the victim? All mm. I'm thinking about is where's the victim? The victim still exists in the minds of some people, but the worst part of the word victim is what it does to the person themselves. When you yeah. believe that something happened to your life that is personal and you dwell on it and you live in it, you will never ever get to the metaphorical Abbey Road Studios. The only way we get there is by understanding everybody's got something, something they had to get over. And the mm -hmm. truly successful ones didn't dwell on it. They just moved on. Yeah. The other thing that, I, that I'm thinking of as you're sharing this story, and this is something that I've shared with you prior to recording this, and that is, I think sometimes, in my opinion as well, what I used to do is when I would place certain labels on people, what I realized was that I give them no opportunity to break through that, right? And in the same way in my case as well, when I was given some of these labels, I thought to myself that that has got to be the truth, and that has got to be the ultimate truth to who I am. So if that part is true, then why change anything about it? Or how could I change anything about it? And, and the problem that becomes, and you're spot on with it, is not only the damage that it, it, it does to the outside and how you begin to view the world, but how you begin to view your own world, right? So when someone else, when someone tells you, hey, you can't do this, or you can't do that, I always look at that, it's, well, it's because you haven't done it. It's always someone else's limitations that are placed upon you. And it's, it's not even necessarily approaching it from the point of view that I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. It's that I'm going to do it regardless. And I think when you step into that journey and you start doing it, what you realize, and this is something that you touched upon earlier, is that you begin to attract other energies. You begin to attract other people who say, hell yes, I, I, I believe you can, and I'm going to support you no matter what the process is, no matter what the journey is. And, and that's the very, that, to me, that's a huge point of it all is that's when you really begin to cultivate that support group and people who believe in you no matter what you choose to do in life because you believe in yourself. And, and the key to this, you, you touched on it. I want to make a huge exclamation point about it. Everything we're talking about today is about who you spend time with. Yeah. I think there's a problem in society. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, uh, um, got a, I've got a book that I wrote that I referred to called Alvin's Laws of Life when we were chatting before we went on air. And it's a, it's a great little book. It's, it's not, not a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I call it Alvin's Laws of Life because I basically believe in my book, there's five principles that I support not only as a, as a book to sell to people and have them look at, by the way, it's only available at albinlaw.com. So don't go looking at Amazon. It's not there. <laughs> it's a whole other story. But again, I'm not promoting it to say buy my book. But what I'm saying is that in this book, there's five steps that I believe people need to take. And that's a key to this. What I'm going to say next is we can dream about being resilient, but mm -hmm. the only way that we get resilient is by living it. We must face those obstacles and face those challenges. But I think one of the keys that comes with being born without arms is you learn that a major function of your life is not being embarrassed to first of all fail, but second of all, to ask for help. Mm. Most entrepreneurs will tell you the ones that are successful is they failed tons of times. Mm -hmm. And every time they failed, they wondered if they could actually go on. That's the trick. 
you got to fail and go on, but you've got to have that support network around you that isn't just pushing you, but realizing that even if you fail, in my case, I'm still just Alvin. I'm mm -hmm. loved by my wife. I'm loved by my son. I'm loved by my dog, for God's sake. I mean, we need to surround <laughs> ourselves with people that love us. Not, by the way, here's a really important thing that I learned. We seem to throw out this expression, loving somebody unconditionally. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I disagree. We must love people with some conditions. Because if we love somebody unconditionally, then they're allowed to say to themselves, well, fine, I'll just become a drug addict. Or fine, I'll just go live on the street. Mm. Or fine, I'll be a prostitute. Or fine, I'll, I'll get to jail. Somebody will always support me. That's a bit crass to put that into words. But that's my point. We can't just live however we want, do whatever we want, hurt whoever we want, because we know, oh, they'll always love me. We have to have mm -hmm. a certain amount of accountability to the people that care about us. And that, to me, is the key, because we need to feel as if we've got a responsibility or skin in the game, to use that cliche. Hmm. Never thought about it that way. That's a very yeah. interesting perspective. Loving with certain conditions because you want you want to you want to do what's best for the other person. So in a way, my it's mom a, it's, died. Uh, my mom died in 1996. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Go my ahead. mom died mm -hmm. in 1996. I was adopted. My story. We can talk about that briefly. But the mm -hmm. irony of my story is, I was adopted after five days of age. I became homeless. I was like you. I wasn't in an orphanage. I was in a hospital, but I had no place to go live. Mm -hmm. Nobody in my family that gave birth to me wanted to keep me. It's a sad story, it seems. But when I was taken into this foster home, the key to the element there was they were elderly. That was a huge element as well because they didn't have the youthful anxiety of looking after a child with what we call today special needs. Mm -hmm. They had been through life. They'd seen it. They'd done it. My dad was a, a World War II veteran. You know, they'd just been through life. So my thing was going to be no big thing. But the point of that is they aged. So when my mom died in 1996, she was 91 years old. Mm -hmm. I went into, I would say, probably the most serious depression of my life. And I'd been through a couple, one in adolescence, another when I was in a bad relationship that produced that 34-year-old son that I have today. But mm -hmm. the one that got me was when my mom died. I felt like I had been... Uh, the ground had crumbled underneath me because my mom was such a foundational belief system in me. So when I, when she died, I, I, I fell apart. Um, I started drinking too much. I was, I was not looking after myself. My wife, Darlene and I had been married at that point for about three years. Um, we'd been together. Uh, I was a single dad. My son was living with us. There was a lot of tension because I was depressed. Finally, my wife sat me down one day and said, so do you have a time frame as to, pardon my grammar here, Oleg, when you're going to get your shit together? Mm -hmm. And I was offended. I said, you're, you're, you're asking me to give you a timeline? My mom just died. And she said, yeah, and you didn't. Mm. And I thought about it for a minute. I said, what are you talking about? And she says, I can't live like this for much longer. I said, you're not going to leave me. She goes, why wouldn't I leave you? You need to realize, Alvin, that everything is not permanent just because we stood at the altar and said, I do. You have a certain amount of responsibility in our relationship to match what you're giving. Because I can't be the only giver. And you know how that works. Mm. It shook me to the core, brother. But it made me understand. Yeah, it's why so many marriages fail. Because too many people forget it's an equal partnership. That we give what we get back. But too many people are waiting for the get instead of doing the give. Mm. Wow. So much wisdom within that. I mean, just even thinking about... The fact that it is an equal partnership, 
out even outside of the marriage, everything, a friendship. I, I, I always tell this to some of my friends and that is, you know, the reason why I choose to call them every single week is because of the fact that they do the same thing. And so when that thing vanishes and that is the person stops calling or you are the only one that's calling, which has happened to me many times, I had to let go of that friendship and no hard feelings. It's just that it's an equal partnership. If I invest time then, and the other person doesn't invest time, then what's the point, right? And, and, and to me, the other thing that while we're on this subject and being completely um, transparent when it comes to these topics, one of the other things that I had a challenge with is that when people say, I got busy, or, <laughs> or sorry, I, I had work to do. Oh, really? None of us are busy, really? Just you? Sorry well, to be sarcastic. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's the thing that I've struggled with is that while I'm busy as well, I have 16 to 18 hour work days. So, and yet I still find the time. I set a reminder, I make it a priority to call and keep in touch. And so I think sometimes it's important for any of anyone that's listening to this is that as difficult as it may seem to let go of some of those connections and relationships, it is the decision that I chose to make for myself sometimes because I knew that if this is a one-sided thing, that I might as well invest this time and energy into another relationship that can help me grow as an individual. I, uh, I got to share a real quick one with you. This is very, very personal mm -hmm. and I'm going to be very transparent as well. Um, when you have no arms, one of the things you deal with, at least I had to, was mm -hmm. in my 20s was a masculinity issue. Mm -hmm. Am I a man? I don't have biceps. I don't have strong hands. Women the stereotype seemed to like the protectiveness of a man. And that's a heterosexual relationship, but this applies to every kind of gender. It doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. It's about feeling protected by your partner. I didn't think I could give that protection. Therefore, I lowered my standard from what I had always had with my friendships, but mm. I lowered my standard with a relationship. And I have to be honest about this. My first wife was very, very attractive. She had the big blonde hair. This was 1983. She had a great figure. She was hot. And I thought, she wants to go out with me and sleep with me? Oh, my God. How did I hit the jackpot? I forgot to ask the most important question. Was she a nice person? Sorry, she was not a nice person. It became an abusive relationship. I was the one who was abused. True story. I'll cut to the chase. That produced a child because of her insecurity, knowing that I was about to leave. That mm -hmm. child ended up being the middle of a real domestic dispute. I left when he was two and a half years old because she tried to kill me with a butcher knife. Mm. I'm sorry to shock you with that statement. And I sat there thinking to myself, Alvin, how did you get to this point in your life where you sunk so low with your self-esteem to be with somebody who isn't good for you well, the answer was because of the child. The child was the key element until I realized this is the story of a million people and more. Mm -hmm. Many women stay with an abusive relationship because they're scared to leave for the children. When the reality is you have to look out for yourself. When I left that marriage in 1988, I was scared out of my pants. But the first thing I did, this is the point of the story. You talk about friendship. 
I spent a Sunday afternoon phoning every single person that was a friendship of our marriage who were equally negative people and hurtful as my ex-wife, told them I would never talk to them again, see them again, acknowledge them again. If I saw them on the street, I would ignore them. They were all offended. I didn't care. I then spent the next day making another bunch of phone calls to all the people that had abandoned me when I refused to listen to their advice and saying, Alvin, you don't need to be with that woman. You're not the kind of person that needs to stay in an abusive relationship. You've got too much to offer somebody down the road. You've got to build your confidence back and we'll be there for you. All those friends that I discarded because I had disagreed with them about them disliking my girlfriend, then my, my bride, and then the mother of my child, and then my ex, reminded me I have a responsibility for myself to mm-hmm. not sink so low that I will do anything I have to do to make a relationship happen because there's other possibilities. I met Darlene and look at it now. We've been married since 1993, sorry. That's my phone in my office here. But that gives you an idea of too many people don't have the confidence to know they can make it through, mm-hmm. but they need to take that first ugly step and be around people that love them, that respect them, that support them. Life is too short to live in abuse. Mm-hmm. You're spot on with that. And I think to add on to what you just said is that abuse, you know, elements of it, they don't stop. What ends up happening is you begin to reframe it. And the, the um, dangerous part that I've learned throughout my own journey is to be able to justify to yourself, just like you said, oh, I'll only do it for X number of years, or once the kids grow up, right? And, and then what ends up happening is you actually end up changing as a person. Absolutely. And, what, and then you end up changing the way that you approach other people and the relationships that you choose to have and, and really just your whole makeup of who you become completely changes because you're still stuck in that same environment. So one more thing, I know we're running short on time here, Oleg, and I really appreciate your time today. Mm -hmm. The major element that came from growing up without arms and going through all of these things were really this one word. It's one word, gratitude. Mm -hmm. If we have gratitude, then we are thankful every day and we remind ourselves we have to live in gratitude and that includes, as you've said, making those phone calls, writing those emails, sending that note, buying somebody a box of chocolates, taking someone out for dinner, going out for a, a little vacation, spending time celebrating the life we've got. Too mm-hmm. many people forget we're very, very lucky. And I know that sounds contrived and almost preachy, but when you don't have any arms, you learn to appreciate that I have my feet. I've got mm-hmm. my legs can lift a cup of my, my water glass here, for example. I can lift this and drink out of it, right? Mm-hmm. I am thankful for that. Others would say, well, you could just get someone to help you. That's not the point. I'm not about fierce independence to prove a point, but because I am so lucky to have had the life given to me. Now, one would say, well, are you lucky to have no arms? Absolutely, yes. He was, oh, no, if you had a chance to have arms, would you? I did have arms. I had artificial arms for 13 years because mm-hmm. the doctors thought they would work. My mom didn't make me use them, but I had to because I was a foster child. The point is, most people, if they look at their life critically, they'll start to realize they've got more mm-hmm. than less. Mm-hmm. Final thought for today's episode, and this is a question that I started to ask a lot of our guests recently, and that is, how can you be a contribution to someone else's life today? Because it's not about you. 
That's, a, that, that's, that's my favorite answer. It's not about you or it's not about me. Why am I doing this with you today, Oleg? It's not about me. Mm-hmm. You might think, well, no, Alvin, you're getting on a podcast. You're going to get on the internet. You're going to be famous. Fine. I'm a vehicle. But at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about how we treat each other. And mm-hmm. then that can come back and bless us over and over and over again. Mm. Alvin, remind us quickly, how can people find you again? And Real simple, where can just alvinlaw.com. That's the one place to go, alvinlaw.com. And I'd love to be able to communicate with anybody who's looking for some answers to their own challenges. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to join us on our weekly conversations every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central Time called Courageous Conversations. This is an opportunity for you to further connect with this community and learn more about who you are. This is an opportunity for you to further dive into topics that matter most to you. If you'd like to know more information on how you can join this particular tribe, go ahead and leave us a message on overcomingodds.today. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.